nine today. Um, Sam read it as our call to worship. And I just before we go into it, I just want to give you a little bit of background, kind of what's going on here, a little bit of context. And Psalm nine is a song of praise. And it's a psalm of David. David's the writer. He's looking back and he is thanking God for all that he has done. So it's all about David and his life. Um, this is the same David, in case you're not exactly sure who I'm talking about. This is the same David, you know, David and Goliath David. A lot of us have heard that story. Um, David, you know, battling the Philistines, a King David. All these things are true of who David is. Um, the Bible actually refers to him also as a man after God's own heart. Doesn't mean he's a sinless man, but he means he's a good man. And so he is the writer of the psalm, and he is just really, really thankful for all that God has done in his life, um, far as fighting his battles for him, going before his enemies. Um, there is, there are some, I should say, scholars, scholars that are thinking that maybe David is actually referring to his battle with Goliath when he's writing this psalm. At the end of the day, we don't know, and it probably doesn't make a difference, but we do know that David is going to be talking about some of these battles that God has fought for him. So that is the context of where we're going today. So I would like to go ahead and pray for us all, and then we're going to start reading right in chapter 1, chapter 9, I should say, verse 1. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here today. We're thankful for the sunshine. We're thankful for the, the folks that are sitting here today, here to hear what you have to say. Lord, may you speak to our hearts today. May these words not be my words, but may they be your words. And uh, may we just really see Jesus through all this, even though it's in the Old Testament, God, we pray that Jesus will shine through today and that we'll just be encouraged by the words. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9. We're going to read the first two verses here and just kind of stop. We're just, that's how we do things here at Springbrook. We like to just open up God's word, read a little bit, talk about it, explain it, and just keep on going. So that's the trajectory for today. We're going to read these first two verses here and just talk about what, what David is writing and how it relates to us. So I'll go ahead and read verse 1, chapter 9. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So this is setting the tone and the posture of this psalm. And David just straight up starts out with saying thanks. In the first four words, David says, I will give thanks. That is like the whole purpose of this psalm is David giving thanks. And he starts out with that. David is going to continue, as we see here, to expound on what he is thankful for, which I think is really helpful because we're going to actually see like the genuineness of his thankfulness as he goes and looks back and recounts what God has done. But at this point right here, he's just saying, I'm thankful. I'm giving thanks to the Lord. But he doesn't just stop there. He says kind of the, the posture of his heart is, I'm going to give thanks with my whole heart. He says, I'm going to give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. So we have to ask ourselves, what is thankfulness from the heart? Is just thankfulness thankfulness? Or are there, you know, different kinds of thankfulness? And at the end of the day, I do think there's different degrees of thankfulness. And I have some examples. I think of like when you go to the restaurant or you go to the store and some nice person opens the door for you and you look at him and you say, thanks. I wouldn't necessarily say, though, that that's thankfulness from the heart. That's just a response. 
just us, you know, being polite back to them and saying, thank you. But did that actually impact you in a personal way? Like, can you actually say that, oh man, like, whew, that person opening that door for me, that really made an impact on my life. Probably not. It could be, but most likely not. So then what would thankfulness from the heart be? I would say it's something where there is an actual personal impact to your life. Um, an example might be employment. Maybe you've been looking for that job for years and then you go through that interview process and you get that phone call or they tell you on the spot, you're hired. Boy, you're thankful at that point because this is something that you've been wanting. This is something that you can see is a need and boom, you just got hired. You are like genuinely thankful. Maybe it's a roof over your head. I think of Pastor Chris and Miranda. They moved here to Anago and they were living here in town and they just had this desire to move out in the country. And let's say within the last month, I think it was, God answered that prayer and they're living out in the country in this beautiful, wonderful house. And I can tell you right now, they are thankful for that. That is thankfulness from the heart. I do think though that thankfulness from the heart could be something more simplistic. Uh, maybe just something you're passionate about, or maybe like a dream coming true. But either way, it's still something impacting you. It's that see and feel kind of thankfulness, one with impact. That's the kind of thankfulness that David is expressing here. He is thankful for what God has done in his life. He can see God's work in his life. Like that kind of where David's just like, wow, God, you did this. And now this happened. That's the tone of this psalm. That's where David is starting out with saying, I am thankful from the heart. Thankfully, though, for us, he doesn't just stop there and say, oh, I'm thankful. He goes on and tells us what he's thankful for. And I think that's important. I think we're going to be able to learn from that because then hopefully we'll be able to see some things that we're thankful for as well. So if we look at verse, the end of verse 1, he says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. He goes right into saying, I'm going to look back at, I'm going to reminisce, I'm going to see all that God has done in my life and all that he is thankful for. So let's go ahead now and look at verse 3. We're going to look at verses 3 through 6, and we're going to actually see what he's thankful for. Verse 3, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. Wow, that's something to be thankful for. God fought his battles. He protected him from his enemies. That's the main theme of what's going on here. You got to realize David was a king. And as a king, there's adversaries. There's people who want to come against him, overthrow the, the kingdom and all those kinds of things. And David's looking back here and he's saying, no, God, you protected me for that. You saved me from my enemies. There's a verse here though, verse four, that I think goes way deeper than just protection from his enemies. And I had to do some studying here because you know, I'm not that bright. And boy, this, this got kind of deep, but I, I, boy, it was encouraging what I found out. In verse 4, it says, you have maintained, he's talking to God here. He says, God, you have maintained my just cause. I was like, what in the world does that mean? 
what it means is God didn't just protect his physical existence, like saving him from his enemies, keeping him alive. He did that. But that's not all he did. It says he maintained his just cause, which means he spared his life and he also spared his calling. God maintained his reason to live and his purpose for living. David didn't just breathe air every day. He lived with a purpose. And that purpose for him was to be a light and a leader to the Israelite nation and also to be a light to the Gentile nations surrounding him, a light for the Lord. And so God, yes, he protected his physical presence, but he also protected his ability to do God's will. And that's, that's just super encouraging. And David's looking back and he's just seeing the hand of God doing all these things in his life. That's encouraging. But we have to ask, have you ever done this? You know, in our culture, we spend the majority of our time, at least I do, I should say, I shouldn't speak for all of you, but I know I spend the most of my time looking forward. We're always looking forward. We're planning for vacations, planning for careers, career change, maybe something as simple as planning a birthday party. And all these things are great. There's nothing inherently wrong with all of these. But what about looking back? That's what David's doing here. He's looking back and he's seeing God. Have you ever looked back on God's provision for you? Have you ever looked back maybe at your own salvation story? I mean, if anything, that's the most important. Those things where you look back and you can only say one thing, and that is, God did that. I actually have a personal testimony of this, and um, it has to do back um, when I was in that transition point of going from high school to college. And um, I firmly believe I was a believer in high school, but I wouldn't necessarily say I was adamantly serving the Lord or pursuing the Lord. And it got to that point of, okay, which school do I go to? I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I knew I wanted to, to teach shop class, which is what I do, but I didn't know where to go. So I started looking and there was two options. There was UW-Stout and there's UW-Platteville. And in my mind, I was just like, stout it is. They always say, you know, when in doubt, go to stout. <laughs> so anywho, is that where you went? Awesome. So anyways, I, we went and did the tour. You know, mom and dad drove me up there and we checked it all out. And I'm like, yeah, this is a nice place. I'm sure I'll go here. And we went back home. And then there was like this itch in my heart. And I'm like, I, you know, we, we got to check out Platteville. Got to at least check it out. And um, by looking back now, hands down, that was the Lord. But we do, the, we hop in the car. You know, Platteville's like way down there by Iowa, way down south, you know, corn country. And we, we cruise down there and step foot on that campus. And it was like this whoo, this, this feeling of peace, this feeling of like, this is where to be. And in the moment, by all means, trust me, I wasn't thinking like, oh yeah, this is God directing me. I was just thinking like, hey, this place is cool and I like it. But now looking back, 100% confident, God put me there for a purpose. And I can see that. And that is just the, the beauty of being able to look back. And boy, let me tell you, God put people in my life there who discipled me and who just helped come alongside me and helped me grow. And that was what a great experience. I mean, probably not for my parents because I ended up staying like five and a half years down there. And, you know, I'm sure they didn't appreciate that. But let me tell you, I just loved it. And um, it was just a great opportunity to grow. And yeah, looking back, hands down, there's no way that would have just happened. That was God working. So that's, you know, personal testimony on that. But I do, I do want to address, and I understand, you know, we all come from different um, backgrounds, and looking back might be hard for somebody, and that's okay. You know, a lot of times you look back and there's hurt. A lot of times people look back and all they see are mistakes and trials, 
And that's painful. So a lot of people, you know, have heard the statement, you know, no looking back. I get that. I understand that. But I do want to encourage you to look at those trials and those mistakes and see how God has used those to help you grow and how you, you know, we all hear the statement, you know, we learn from our mistakes. How have we gone through those situations and how have they made us more like Christ? I mean, that's, that's our ultimate goal here, to become more like Christ. And another thing is how have those situations that you've endured open the door for you to now help somebody else who's going through those same type of situations? I have a close friend here in town, and I've actually, within the last couple of years, grown really close to him. And I did call him and say, hey, can I mention your name? His name is Richie. And I know for a fact there are some people sitting in this room right now who have been impacted by the ministry that Richie has. Richie was a drug addict, heavy into drugs, living this, like, I'm talking a while. I hear stories, like the, the pre-Jesus Richie. Um, I hear them from these folks, actually, a lot of folks I work with right now. And I'm like, wow, yeah, you know, he lived that wild life. But let me tell you, God grabbed a hold of him and saved his soul. And now this gentleman is running a ministry here in town where he is reaching out to people who are struggling with addictions and he is pointing them towards Jesus and Jesus is saving their souls. So when he looks back, yes, he can see the trials and the struggles, but he's using that for God's glory. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, use those experiences for God's glory. All right, let's keep moving here. So David, going back to David here in the psalm, upon review of God's protection, all that God has done, so upon looking back, David's next lines here are just words of adoration and reverence. So let's go ahead and look at verses 7 through 12. Verse 7 says, But the Lord, remember this is in light of all that he has done, the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. After recounting God's deeds, David goes right in to say, the Lord sits enthroned forever. What he means by that, being enthroned forever, means that nothing is going to overthrow God on his throne. Remember, David was a king, and so I'm sure there was always like a fear in his heart, like, man, someone might overthrow you know, his kingship. But when it comes to the Lord, he's saying, no, 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 nothing's going to overthrow God on his throne. David jumps in and acknowledges this right away. But then he doesn't just end there. I love this. He goes in and he describes the purpose of God being on his throne. He says here, at the second half of verse 7, he says, He has established his throne for justice. God is established. He's sitting on the throne. He's established that throne for justice. Now, that might sound a little bit intimidating, I'll be honest with you. Maybe a little bit scary. However, Let's look at the next verse, verse 8. It says, He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. In our term, we don't use those words a lot, uprightness. But what he's saying here is God is a judge and he is a judge with integrity. He is a judge who judges honestly and he's a judge who judges with honor. In verse 10, he says, Those who know your name put their trust in you. 
he is saying, God does not forsake those who seek him. So there's nothing intimidating or scary about God's judgment for those who know him. It's God's enemies, those are the ones that need to fear God's judgments. So once again, we have to look, where do we fit into this? Are you at peace with God or are you one of God's enemies? It's a super important question. Honestly, that's the most important question you can ask yourself today. Are you at peace with God or are you an enemy of God? There's really no other option. Your eternal destiny hinges on that question. The good news is, in the book of Romans, there's a solid answer for that. And we're going to go, and hopefully, if your answer is potentially enemy or you don't know, hopefully the scriptures here are going to point us in the right direction and encourage us in that way. So if you want to take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Romans 3.23. Let's get some wisdom here. Now, as you're turning there, just a little context. This is written by the Apostle Paul. So this is like post-Jesus. David is writing before Jesus came. He knows that there's a Messiah going to be coming. He had like a glimpse of what that might look like, but he didn't know. We are on the other side of Jesus coming, so we know exactly who Jesus was. We know exactly what he did for us, and we know exactly what that means for us. So that's like way better news. We have it so much better than David did because we have Jesus. But let's see how we stand. Let's look at this relationship between essentially friend of God or enemy of God. Romans 3.23, and a lot of you are like, oh yeah, I know that verse. This is like one of those Sunday school slash VBS verses that they always have you memorize, and let me tell you, there's a reason for that. But Romans 3.24 and Romans 3.25, boy, they really hammer the purpose of this. So let's start in 23, though. Romans 3.23 says, for all, that means us, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't think that's super hard for us to believe. I mean, I'm sure there's some people that might say, no, 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 I've never sinned. But I know I have sinned, like, all the time. And I'm guessing that most of us would be able to say, yeah, you know what, I've, I've sinned. And it says because of that sin, we fall short of the glory of God. That means we didn't make it. We have a glorious God and we have fallen short of his glory. That is a problem. We have sinned that makes us an enemy with God and we fall short of his glory. But then in verse 24, it says, and are justified, it's referring to us sinners, by his grace as a gift. This is where it starts to get to the good news. That's why I want to encourage you, if you memorize Romans 3.23, keep going, memorize the rest, because that's the good news. It says we are justified, remember God's a judge, that's what we're sitting on his throne being the judge, like, we, like David was talking about, he's still, on, it says David said he's enthroned forever, so he's still up there on his throne, but it says we are justified by his grace as a gift, so this means that we're shown grace and that it's a gift, remember a gift is something that we don't, we just get, we, don't, we didn't earn it, we just get it. Let's keep, see if we can figure out this grace and this gift, though, because it says now as we continue, this grace and gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we are justified before God. He shows us grace and his gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That means we didn't redeem ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to redeem ourselves. It says we've fallen short, but it says the redemption is in Christ Jesus. It says Jesus is the one who redeemed us. 
It's nothing we can do. And he says, that's a gift. Jesus just did it as a gift because of his love for us. Let's keep reading. Verse 25, it says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, that's a big word right there, propitiation. What that means when it says God put forward. So God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. That's referring to the cross. That's referring to Jesus on the cross. And that big fancy word propitiation, it's really not that fancy. It means that God's wrath, his judgment, means it was satisfied. It was satisfied through Jesus. It says by his blood. It wasn't something we did that satisfied God's wrath against us. It is Jesus's blood. God had his son, his perfect son crucified. And that's the key there. We fall short of the glory of God. Jesus didn't. Jesus did not fall short of the glory of God. He was perfect, but all of God's anger towards our sin, instead of pouring out his wrath on us, it says it was satisfied when he poured it out on Jesus, when Jesus was crucified on the cross. That's the gospel. That's what we believe. That is like the core of why we are here at Springbrook Church is to proclaim that and to let this community know that we have a loving Savior who died and took our place. That is great news. And I want to encourage you, if that's like, I don't really understand that, or maybe like it's, it's new to you, like, let's talk. I mean, talk to the person sitting next to you. Like, this is the core of our faith. So I want to encourage you to trust in that. All right, now let's go back to Psalm, though. We got to keep moving here. We don't want to be here all day. I get that. And let's see this continuation. So David just got done talking about God being on the throne and the purpose of his throne and that he's a good, righteous judge. He says in verse 10, as we said before, that those who put their trust in him, they know him, they put their trust in him. Now let's look at verse 13. Let's see how David continues. After saying those things, he goes on to say, be gracious to me, O God. This is like a prayer that David is saying to God, a personal prayer. He's saying, God, Lord, be gracious to me. To see my affliction from those who hate me? O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all of your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. David asked for God's grace. And then he goes on to describe, this is really cool here. He goes on to describe how God has changed his standing, his place. He says, you have, let's see here in verse 13, you have lifted me from the gates of death. He says in verse 3, that I may recount your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. What he's saying is God has taken him from the gates of death, which would be essentially the gates of hell, and moved him into the gates of Zion, which you might say, well, what the heck is the gates of Zion? What that's referring to is back in the Old Testament, that was where Jerusalem was, and that's where the temple was, and that's where the presence of God was. So it's saying, God, you took me from here and moved me to here. The gospel that we just talked about in Romans, that's the same concept, where through God's grace as a gift, he takes us from the gates of death to the gates of his presence. That's really encouraging. God saved him and transferred him from life, from death to life. God is still doing that for us today. Let's keep rolling. Verse 15 through 18. We're going to see more examples of God's provision. 
David's looking back, doing more, reminiscing of what God has done. In verse 15, David says, The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. More examples where David is saying, God, you did this. And God, you're going to continue to do this. He says the needy should not always be forgotten. He's trusting that God's going to keep going. It's not God, you did this and now we're done. It's God, you did this and you're going to keep going. Just that continued process, thought process, David is saying, of God, you are in control. You've done this and you're going to keep doing this. We have two verses left, and we kind of shift gears a little bit, not completely. We've had 18 verses of David being thankful to God and then telling why he's thankful and listing all the things that God has done, which would be a good place to end potentially, you would think, for David just to say, you know, essentially, but God, you're great. Thank you. Boom. End of this psalm or song, and then move on maybe to a different one. But that's not what David does. These last two verses, David ends with petitioning God to continue to do the work that he's already doing. And David is really secure in his faith to be able to say these things. These are some bold statements. So let's look at these last two verses, verses 19 and 20. This is David speaking and petitioning to the Lord. He says, Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. He's asking that the nations, his enemies, be judged. He says, put fear in them. Let them know that they are mere men. But what that also means when it says, let them know that they're mere men, he's also saying, let them know who you are, God. Let them know that you are God Almighty. David wants them to know who's in control. He wants justice. So my question for us here. Can we ask the same exact thing of God for our community and for our nation? What if we plugged in, instead of nations, as David was talking here, what if we plugged in our nation? What if we could say, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let America be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let America know that they are but men. In other words, saying, Let our country know that, God, you are God, that you're sitting on the throne that you are a God who wants to save us. What about Anago? Could we say, let Anago know that they're but men and that you are God, that you are God Almighty and that you want to save them? I hope that's the case because I know I want our community to know who they are before before God Almighty, to know that they're either an enemy or they're at peace with God. I would love to see our community be revived into folks that just love Jesus and that know who they are before the Almighty God. I want to encourage you to be able to pray that to the Lord for our community and for our nation. Let's wrap this up in conclusion. So we've got 18 verses here that are David recounting God's work. He's responding in awe and thankfulness. And then we have two verses where where David is saying, God, continue this, please. Make yourself known. I want to let you know that God has not changed. God is still going before us and he is still providing for us. 
Jesus is God, and he goes before us through his work on the cross, and he saves us through that redemption by his blood. He paid the sacrifice that we deserve for our sins. Are you trusting in God today? Are you seeing the big picture of what he has done for you? If you're an unbeliever here, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you can be here to hear Jesus. But I want you to know that the first thing for you is you got to trust in Jesus, that he is who he says he is, that he is your savior. So if you're uncertain, let's talk. I want to tell you about Jesus. But what about the believers? I know a lot of folks here. I know you personally. I know that you're following Jesus. You love the Lord. But I want to know, are you trusting that God is going to provide and sustain for your life? Are you taking the time to review God's faithfulness in your life? Are you looking back to see what God has done? Are you taking time to praise and worship him? Just time to be thankful. Saying, God, wow, you did this. I want to encourage you all to do that sometime soon. Just look back at your life and be like, man, God, you are amazing. Let not our praise and thankfulness lead us to idleness, though. As we do that, as we look back, as we're appreciative of God, let us not just say, thanks, God. Appreciate it. Let us say, thank you, God. And now let's call on God to arise and intervene for our community, for our nation. Let's cry out to the one who is faithful and true. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are super, super thankful for who you are. We're thankful for you being a righteous and upright judge. We're thankful for Jesus and how the penalty for our sin was poured out on him and that you showed us grace and that you gave us this gift of salvation that we didn't earn and we don't deserve. But God, you loved us and you put Jesus in our place. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Lord, help us to Just be glad of what you've done. Help us to just reflect on your wonderful deeds. We pray this in your name. Amen.